There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. the kid that's like, I don't feel like walking the dogs today. It's like, yeah, let me see you stand outside till 2 o'clock in the morning in subarctic conditions cutting out cod tongues. You know, you feel like such a punk. Pulled the lever for the parliament, went outside, smoked one. Dude, that thing must have been in there for 20 years. I, I took like one drag and I think the whole <laughs> cigarette just went up in flames. <laughs> oh yeah, come up to Pulaski, man. Everybody's just got mono on their fly reels. Yeah, I always feel like it's too difficult of a knot. It's actually pretty easy. Oh. Well, alright. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that prefers to wet its knots with someone else's saliva before <laughs> cinching them tight. I'm Joe Cermelli, and that's how you get the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Hayden Samak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. You are still Hayden. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, today, how are you feeling better, by the way? You're all over, you're, you know, you're, you're, oh, yeah. you're feeling good. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I, I didn't really end up getting like that sick to begin with. You don't have yep, the I, long COVID? Very thankfully, no, I do not. At least <laughs> it appears that way. It might drop dead in 10 years, but, you know, I don't. Yeah, well, yeah, so so might we all. Who knows? Anyway, uh, today on the show, let's see, what do we got? We're going to talk about, get this, we got a bar today with its own uh, theme song. Excited about mm. that. And we're going to talk about knots. And everybody loves to talk knots, right? Um, <laughs> and, and, and by the end of this, you you might finally get off, and by you, I mean you, Hayden, finally get off the, the clinch knot I think you use for everything. Isn't that what you do? It, it, it's so easy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, sort of, sort of. It is, but life, you know, sometimes life is hard. Uh, anyhow, um, you know, so hey, look, you did finally make it back to Montana. Did Phil's announcement last week spark spark a little uh, more enthusiasm to get back did it <laughs> i once again early <laughs> once again joe and ben listeners here's your weekly reminder that i am in fact not high yeah <laughs> i i don't know why people won't let this go have you, have you guys ever considered like i might just be kind of dumb 
No, 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 no. Don't say that. You're not dumb. You're just you're just special, and that's why we love you. And I, I hope it never dies. I think yeah, we should yeah. just keep that yeah. one going. You know. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yes, I did in fact make it back to Montana. Yeah. Well, you know, with all those delays and and rescheduling, you know, I got to thinking about it, and I'm like, you were here for so much extra time. We probably mm. still could have gotten a fishing trip in. I mean, we didn't you. know that you were going to get stuck, yeah. but in hindsight, I'm like, damn, you actually were here. With a negative COVID result for like, you know, three, four more days than you should have been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the weather was nice. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, relatively speaking. So, uh, yeah, we, we probably could have, but I did get to hit the, uh, I did get to hit the ice. I, I was going to say you did, you did yeah. one wish did come true for you. You got, uh, you finally got back out there and back out on the ice this weekend. How was that? It was good. Uh, I got to break out all that shit that, uh, 13 sent me and Beautiful. It was everything that I'd hoped for and more. Oh, um, there you go. So now, having actually finally gotten to use it, um, any any favorite piece of of thirteen fishing gear emerge out of the the, the glorious pile you were sent? Yeah, um, I'm gonna get into it. Like you know, I, I think we'll talk about it a little more in this episode later on. But mm. uh, what we ended up fishing for was mostly like there there was this farm pond that we ended up fishing, and so I bought a lot of like the lighter stuff. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. not, there aren't any like walleye or like anything super big in it but I, I was fishing one of those little ultralight omens with like the split grip yeah i love that thing man it's cool. it's unbelievably sensitive and th- so like the blank starts around right and then yeah. it tapers into like a flat like ribbon of metal so it's like su- the, the tip is super sensitive it's so you don't yep. have to use one of those wh- what do you call like those like spring dipper things Oh God! Yeah, I know. Well, what you, you know mean. what I'm talking about. I I do. I don't. I don't. I don't know the lingo, but I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, those rods are pretty slick. Like the tip of those rods, it's like it's like a noodle, but it works somehow, especially right. for light for smaller light biting fish. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you know, it's it's good for two things, right? You you can really see anytime something interacts with your bait and then also if you just like move your wrist to touch it kind of works as like a spring to amplify Mm -hmm. that so it gives you like a really nice action and Mm -hmm. that rod because of how it's designed has some really like it has some like surprising backbone to it too i actually hooked into like a fairly sizable brook trout Mm -hmm. uh, like you know 15 inches which you know for a brook trout is like a great brookie sure and yeah. man i licked that thing before it knew it was hooked <laughs> you know so anyhow the, the split grip ultralight omen is a new favorite and i'm a big fan of that yeah yeah i uh i lick a lot of brookies before they know they're hooked when you do that, oh, that fly man. set I knew you they just end up over your go. shoulder you know what i mean on those little streams you like to fish you're just like whoop oh he's behind me 20 feet. yeah anyway no, that's, uh, that's actually not where i thought you were going with that but, but yeah no i could have gone in several directions but i chose that one um, we I will cho- say, so since, so since we cho- you, we choose to wet our brookies with other people's saliva too. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but well, look, since, since you've left, it has gotten colder here, um, but still not cold enough for local safe ice. So I'm not using any of my 13 ice fishing gear, at least not around the way. You know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe a little bit of skim ice that's going to go away when it gets back to 45 this week. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, moving on to those knots. Did you know I'm actually fascinated by fishing knots, and here's why. I think that anglers obsess over them too much, right? Mm. Like, in my opinion, there are four, maybe five knots every angler should know, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we were joking about me using a clinch knot for everything, and that's not exactly true. (laughs) But, 
<laughs> you know, I, I think that like people are like, oh, you got to use this for this and this for that and this for. There are a whole bunch of knots that have like different applications, right? But yeah. you know, I I don't think that you know if you're a saltwater fisherman, you use a series of knots. If you're well, a trout fisherman, thing. yeah. As I was going to say, right? So it's situational. Now, in my opinion, every angler should know the clinch, Palomar, non-slip mono loop, and a uni to uni knot splice. And then, like you say, there, there's there's outliers. Like if you fly a fish for trout, you got to add a blood knot to that. Mm. Have to know how to tie that. Um, if you saltwater fish, you should probably be able to tie a, a spider hitch. Maybe not the bimini twist, but the spider hitch. Um, but what I see happening uh, is these new knots get popularized by the internet, right? On like TikTok and Reels. There's always these little tutorials mm-hmm. on tying these crazy knots, which is fine. And, and new is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But then what happens, I, I, I feel like other knots apparently become weaker. It's like, oh, you're still tying the Palomar. That's so... <laughs> 2005 dude you know what i mean only only not i'll use these days the san diego jam like come on man a knot that was good 10 years ago is yeah. still for the most part a good knot you know yeah people are too obsessed with knots man and like here's the thing if i wanted to spend all my free time tying knots i'd get into crocheting and not like fly fishing <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> the uh the, w- my like kit basically is like five turn clinch kids the improved clinch is f-ing garbage don't use it um oh Explain yourself so you don't go back through the loop to make it improve. Because here's like the thing that to me, because of how that knot tightens, when you pull it back through, sometimes that loop will close on your tag end, end before the uh, the turns around your main line have like seated themselves. I get so what you're a, saying. A lot of times, and this is just for me, you know, I shouldn't say it's garbage for everyone, man. If you're better at that, I just find that they don't sit as well. And I find that. I guess it kind of, I guess in opening that loop a little bit by bringing your tag end back through, you kind of take some pressure off of it. And I guess it's not cutting in so much, but. No, no, I wasn't trying to give you a hard time. It's actually, I'm, I was intrigued that you said that because there have been articles written, right? And, and some other like really hardcore anglers that say the same thing. You oh. don't need to go back through the loop. Yeah, right? no, I, 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 I don't think you need to do that, man. I, I, th- I think it's like a. I, way I think it to depends. Aim. Yeah, I, well, I think it depends on what you're tying it with. But my point, what I was going to say was, even though I've read them and I probably think that's right, I can't not do it. I can't, oh. like, I can't not go back through the loop. And I know other fishermen who've read the same thing. They're like, yeah, but I can't do it. I can't not. It just doesn't feel right. I, I will weird. say before we move off of this. Um, the only time that I tie it is if I'm using a clinch knot for some reason on like a bigger hook mm-hmm. that for some, like I don't want to snell or something like that. Like, so if, if I'm like bait fishing or whatever, but I'm trying to think of like a good way to wrap this up. <laughs> if I'm using like, <laughs> if I'm using a hook with like a heavy gauge wire and I'm tying a clinch knot on it for some reason, I will use the improved clinch because the diameter of like the hook eye, yeah. sometimes your regular clinch will slip a little bit. Well, that that's what it all boils down to is 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 diameter, hundred percent. And matter of fact, you know, if if you're doing twenty pound test or heavier, you don't need five turns; three will do it. And a right, three yeah. turn clinch on a heavy saltwater leader, mm-hmm. no problems there, no problems there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll we'll get off of that now. And I just want to reiterate that new, you know, it's not that new knots aren't cool or good. It's just that I think we get obsessed with them. And and there's one knot in particular that has really blown up in, let's say, the last five, six years or so. So we're going to move into actually a very special tackle hacks for a change um, with Elite Series Bass Pro Carl Jockamson, who was here a while ago, um, to discuss this knot. 
and and let's see if he sells you on the merits of what I'd consider the second most pain in the ass knot next to the Bimini twist. I'm getting hacked. Coming from inside the city. Hide the planet! Joining us today for Tackle Hacks, Carl Jockamson is here, uh, uh, Bassmaster Elite Series angler. Uh, you've been on before for smooth moves. Uh, reminding everybody, you are the first Australian angler to qualify for the Bassmaster Elite Series. Um, yeah, man, whenever we have a chance to get like a really high caliber bass pro on like yourself, we'd be remiss not to get a tackle hack because, I mean, bass is America's fish. We have a lot of anglers that chase bass. So I'm always so curious to hear uh, tips from from guys like yourself that do this for a living with everything on the line, with all the pressure Something that that you have in your repertoire, you lean on a lot that can just make Joe Weekend Angler a better bass fisherman, man. The floor is yours, Carl. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Thanks for having us on. Uh, I think the best one for me is, uh, we talked about it before, is the FG knot. And that's a question that we I get asked a mm. lot, is braid to leader. What knot to tie? How do you tie it? Should you use straight through fluorocarbon? When do you use braid? Um, but the FG knot sort of eliminates a lot where you can get the best of both worlds and it's a difficult knot to tie, but if you learn it, it's sort of worth it. And the reason is it's a plat. So a lot of braid leader knots, um, uh, that will be the weakest point in your line. And a lot of people sure. lose, you know, you go out there, you spend all that money and, and to go out and fish and then you lose that trophy fish or that fish that you've been chasing for the whole time because of a failed knot is, uh, is not a good feeling and it happens all the time to so many. So um, learning a good braid leader knot is key and being able to use big long leaders when you do. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get that stretch, um, and the, uh, allowing the bait to, to move naturally with a big, long fluorocarbon leader, but then getting the feel and the hook set and everything of, of having braid and the, and the lightness of braid, you know, the castability and everything that comes along with sure. braid. So the FG knot is a plaited knot. Uh, that is very thin and long. The braid, the fluorocarbon does not turn. It stays straight. So it flies through your guides uh, super smooth. It doesn't catch and break your lure off or just have a, a one of those ones where you cast and your bait just slams the water, sure. which happens a lot with the leader. Um, it just eliminates that. And it's a hundred percent not strength. Um, so you get um, that's not the weakest point in your line anymore. It's actually the strongest point. It's going to break everywhere else. And generally what I found when I started tying it is I had to improve my knot to my lure then, because that was where the point was breaking. And so I've done it now to where I don't know where's going to break when I get snagged. It usually straightens the hook or it <laughs> breaks somewhere on the lightest part of the leader. Um, or the, you know, usually down near the bait where it's like being roughed up or something like that. So for me, it would be learn that FG knot and a good knot to your bait and, uh, you'd be enjoying fishing braid leader a lot better. I'm I'm actually really pumped you you brought up this knot because it's an interesting topic. First of all, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Australian anglers that popularized that knot. I mean, I remember like five six years ago in the saltwater scene, nobody was talking about the FG, and all of a sudden, I, I do a lot of saltwater fishing. You see, like that is everybody will tell you that is now the only knot worth using. Yep. Um, I use it a ton to saltwater fish, like tuna and stuff. But here's my issue with it, and maybe you have a, a quick add on to fix this. I love it. But I need to set up all my rods the night before to be out there doing all that plating and crossing over. Yeah. But then if something does break or if I have to do one on the water while we're rocking around in six-foot seas, I always feel like it's too difficult of a knot to do properly in those conditions. 
but I know some guys are very good at tying them faster. Like, is there people, people listening? It's one you got to look up on YouTube because it's very hard to explain how to tie it. But once they understand that, is there anything that comes to mind that like makes you tie that knot quicker and smoother on the water? Yeah, it's, you do. it's actually pretty easy. People get too caught up oh. with making it look. It, with making it look, <laughs> they they. Yeah, f- you, Joe. <laughs> no, like no. Easy to explain why why well, it takes right. long. Sorry, it's easy to no, explain no, why dude. it takes. Um, but people try and get caught up with making it look pretty, and that's what happens. They want it to look perfect, and they want all the plats. But the truth is, the second that you've done five. Uh, plats, that's the knot. It's done. Like all the rest of it is just, is nothing. The knot, the strength of the knot is in those first five to 10 plats. And Dude, so and you, you guys can have a laugh at my expense, but I'm going to take that to the bank because when these things first came out, it's like, you have to do 40 yeah. cross and you're out, I'm out there with the thing in my mouth for 45 minutes tying on <laughs> yeah. one liter. You but, do have I mean, to have a certain amount, but the, the, the knot strength is in those first few plats so you get them correct then just plat it and then half hitch it to finish it off and just do don't get crazy they want to do all the different types of ones to make it like look <laughs> it's like perfect. Ne- it's like needlepoint man if yeah. you watch some of these and videos that's, and that's the way i do it the night before but during a tournament i can tie it as quicker than anyone can tie a knot like i sit on the leader i pull it up it's around my fingers i'm like platting it and half hitching it and i'm winding it up and i i tie it all the time. But the thing what most people don't get is if you tie it the night before with a 20 foot, 25 foot leader in bass fishing, you won't have to retie the next day because yeah. it won't break. It'll break yeah. down near the knot and you'll be able to retie and you can retie drop shots and as many as you like, because you can fish a huge long leader and not run out of leader to where you're having to retie like during a tournament. It's rare that I have to tie an FG during a tournament. That is a fantastic tip from Carl. He knows more about FG knots than I do. So listen to him. <laughs> Learn the knot and then practice tying it quick because uh, you cinched that one up right. It is pretty strong. I definitely didn't spend an hour trying to learn that knot at my desk right after we recorded that. <laughs> oh, I, I actually know you didn't because right after that, we were online together and you fired up a tutorial video on the FG on your phone. And as I recall, you watched it for 35 <laughs> seconds and said, you guys are such dorks. And by you guys, I, you must have meant serious anglers that care to know more than your favorite clinch knot. That's the way I interpreted that response. <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> but it, it, it was too many steps, man. It's like, again, if I wanted to spend all my time tying knots, I'd yeah. get into crochet. Yeah, see, I, I I waver, right? Like, when it first got popular, I tried it, and I liked it, and I actually got made fun of for it. Like, guys on the boat would, like, give me a hard time, like, you know, insisting that the Uni to Uni or Alberto Knot, were, you know, were better braid-to-leader connections. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I know. But that's okay. Um, but I will say that after that chat with Carl, I'm starting to lean back into it a tiny bit for things I normally wouldn't, right? Like, I, I only used it... Um, in offshore saltwater. But after that talk, I, I went on that brown trout trip that you missed that we talked about last week. Mm. And I got to thinking about it and I'm like, why not? You know what I mean? It's not going to hurt. It can't hurt. Did you do it? I did. I did because What'd I'm using think? stick baits and and 15 pound leader because we're angling for big fish. Did you notice like, was it smoother? Well, it's always that was the whole thing on it, right? It is smoother to cast too, right? Yeah. It slides through your guides nice. There was nothing to notice because I didn't break off 
but I didn't break off the last time I did it with a different knot. So I, it's it's not really something that's like that's that's tangible, but it's just um, I don't know. Maybe that little bit more confidence that like if a you know thirty inch brown comes out and tanks that, it's not going to snap it off of the connection. It is a very very solid knot, you know. Right, right. It. And regardless, you know, tying a most of the time, if you know how to do it, tying a more complicated knot is not going to hurt. Yeah, right. it, it couldn't possibly hurt unless you were to tie it wrong. Right. Which I probably would. But what <laughs> is going to hurt is me crushing you, Joe, in this week's installment of Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. So before we kick in the news, uh, I just want to say uh, that we got some some really nice notes uh, about the, the Bent Helpline. And um, just wanted to thank you guys again for so many great questions. And I did, you know, we, we mentioned when we kicked it off that we've gotten a ton, right? And we're not yeah. going to get to all of them. But I did I did just want to read a few very quickly from uh, Neil Anglin. Okay, he, he wrote in with like a laundry list of questions. And the only reason I'm doing this is because these are ones that will absolutely not make a bent helpline segment. <laughs> like there's not a chance, but they're still fun and I appreciate them. So um, Neil asks, Who's more punk, Gigi Allen or Lemmy? Gigi Allen. Now, why? Well, okay. <laughs> Did you really want my like longhand answer on this, or you want it like short and sweet? Uh, short and sweet, please. Well, uh, Gigi Allen did what uh, Iggy Pop meant to do with the peanut butter. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you guys know Gigi Allen, you'll know what I mean there. Um, yeah, Gigi Allen was famous for like taking a, a poop on stage and throwing it at the audience and like smearing himself with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, Lemmy on the other hand was initially in a band called Hawkwind and uh -huh. Hawkwind was like more like uh, of a psychedelic sort of bent. Yeah. Lemmy decided that he didn't fit in with like a lot of those philosophies famously saying that he had some proclivities that were not in line with the exact proclivities or habits of Hawkwind, and so he left and made Motorhead. Okay. Punk in two ways. Punk in two ways, but I still have to go uh, with Gigi Allen. Although for all you Gigi Allen fans, he was a terrible, trash human being, and it is very hard to say anything good about him other than perhaps he embodied a certain ethos. I was not expecting this to to generate this much conversation. Uh, I'm I'm very surprised. It's great though. So my answer would be in terms of like who is more punk. It, yes, it's Gigi Allen. Like he sort of lived the punk lifestyle more, but his music was terrible. Yeah. Like you're not you're not singing Gigi Allen in the shower. You know, well, I mean, I'll Sid sing Vicious some Motorhead. Terrible. Yeah, he was a you know terrible what I mean? bass like, player. But yeah, I, you're right. You're right. Let's move on. Next okay, question yeah. from you. <laughs> Did Miles ever purchase a record player? How the f should I know? I have no idea if Miles ever bought a record player. You'd have to ask Miles. And his final one here, Bob the Garbage Man owes me some stickers. Can I send you some smokes so you can trade him? He hasn't picked up the payphone number uh, he gave me. That's between you and Bob and the Better Business Bureau, my friend. Man, I don't you know. try and get his burner <laughs> number instead. Exact <laughs> burner number. Um, but yeah, so it just goes to kind of show you the range of questions we've been getting. They're all super fun. But um, I don't think we could do a full segment on Gigi Allen. I actually think we already kind of did too much. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> uh, point is, we're really having fun with this. 
Also, just want to say sorry to all the people that wrote in and said, I didn't notice the Bass Pro trucker hat thing, and now I notice them everywhere. Uh, thanks for officially ruining those. Yeah. Although, uh, well, you know, it, it wasn't us. It wasn't. Uh, it, it, it wasn't us, man. Uh, <laughs> what we can officially ruin, however, is Phil's day by making him listen to our shit and judge our news stories. Remember, uh, this is Fish News. It's a competition. Joe and I do not know which news story the other guy has grabbed. And our beloved, beloved audio engineer, Phil Taylor, will declare a winner at the end. And Joe, I believe it's your lead this week. I believe it is too. So I'm going to open with a question uh, before I get into this news story. What was your very first job as a kid? Like, you know, like, like kid, kid, like paper boy era, that type of thing. What was your first well, gig? I was, I was a paper boy in a slightly uh, different bent. My dad had a, a printing business. It's since like changed into something else, but mm-hmm. I used to work in the bindery department of that business, meaning ah. I would like shrink wrap and spiral bind things. And I still have nightmares about it to this day. I remember one time, <laughs> one time I, I did this, I shrink wrapped this huge stack of hospital like forms. Right. Mm-hmm. And after doing that all day, uh, th- this dude, Ryan came in with a stack of yellow papers and he said, I forgot to put these on top of each one of these things that you just did. Uh, you need to unwrap all of them, put this paper on top, and then rewrap all of them again. So and you that, punched him in the face and got fired. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I kind of just did as I was told, uh, like a good little droid. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, so that was my first job. <laughs> okay, all right, there you go. So I walked dogs. Mm. That was my first job. There was a lady across the street that would pay me 20 bucks a week to walk her dogs when I got home from school. Uh, and it took me about a, a week of doing it to not feel like doing it anymore. Like in hindsight, how lazy, like it's a walk around the block. But I didn't feel like it. Anyway. I feel like um, you could have gotten a little bit more than 20 bucks. But this was in like the 40s, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was 1974, actually. Yeah, right, exactly. It was, I was like a millionaire kid. So anyway, look, so now that everyone listening is reminiscing about their first kitty job, um, I bet that none of them can top tongue cutter okay so smithsonian recently published a terrific piece about child tongue cutters in norway and the tongues they are cutting are cod tongues but as i explain this i want all of you that have children in like the 6 to 13 year old range to decide yes my kid could hack it or hell no okay so you recently covered um the the reassessment of the cod stocks in the US right yes uh-huh. but over in Norway um there seems to be a lot more of them those are some of the breeding grounds for the stocks over there and the commercial cod fishing is uh still major business yeah. so this story is is set in it's either Ryan or Rhiney probably Rhiney which is a town in Norway's uh Lofoten Islands Lofoten Islands I'm I'm doing the thing that you do where I can't say stuff um <laughs> and this is this is of course well north of the arctic circle right so there's uh, several cod processing plants there, and at the processors, the cod bodies are dried, frozen, or salted, and then exported for food. Now, mm. according to this story, a cod tongue is squishy, gelatinous, and buttery smooth, and likened to the filet mignon of the cod, which I'd never heard before. If that's a thing that we do here, I've never heard of it. It's like when somebody tells me about, like, I don't know, cooking, like, perch cheeks or some shit. And I'm like, well, how, how much meat is, is there? How big is a cod tongue? 
I think cod tongues are pretty large, but all yeah. I can think of is those stories that are floating around that nobody grabbed for news about those parasites that just replace a fish's tongue. Like that's all I can think about. Like <laughs> we should have grabbed the, that, huh? <laughs> I know the idea of of, a, of of eating a fish tongue not super appealing. Um, anyway, so the thing about this is removing them is tedious, and the processing plants just can't make quite enough money off of them to to make the tongue removal worth their time. Uh. So instead. They set aside all the cod heads for the local kids, many of which show up after school routinely to remove tongues and sell them on their own. Now, the processors know that they are leaving some money on the table, but um, these kids known as, I'm going to try really hard here, and I'm only going to do it once. I love this. Tungus Yarnin. Tungus Yarnin. Tungus Yarnin. Tungus Yarnin. That's fine which translates to tongue cutters, and that's what we're going to say for the rest of the time. This is not something new. The, 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 the people growing up in this region, kids have been doing this for generations. Um, mm. And the processors gladly donate the heads because uh, it, quote, introduces young people to the fishing industry and teaches them the value of entrepreneurship and hard work. And hard work it is. Per the story, right, I love this quote, uh, this job makes selling Girl Scout cookies or running a lemonade stand look like child's play, right? <laughs> now it goes on. I want to I read from the story. It's very well written. Uh -huh. um, uh, that children as young as six go straight from school to the docks where they spend hours in the numbing cold coated in fish guts. Sharp knives in hand may seem bizarre when viewed from the perspective of today's developed economies and increasingly virtual workplaces. But the rarefied nature of this work, proudly undertaken by kids who feel a connection to the tradition, is part of what makes the practice so fascinating. So it says the task itself involves spearing the head onto a giant metal spike and then slicing out the tongue. Uh, and the tongues pile up on the spike until they reach the top, where they're then tossed into a bucket, right? Okay. And the author says the kid's handiwork was so quick it was difficult to make out the distinct steps. Heads were grabbed, spiked, sliced, tossed, grabbed, spiked, sliced, tossed, until the large bin was empty and a new batch of cod heads arrived. Despite harsh winds and below freezing temperatures, a few of the older tongue cutters who worked fast were sweating. Piles of snow were pink with blood, but they didn't seem to mind, right? So there's more to it than that, though. So they interviewed um, a local fish exporter, uh, and, and he, he was like, yeah, like back in the day, I'd let my six-year-old stay out there till midnight sometimes cutting these tongues. But then after these kids are done, then they have to go home, wash their own tongues, weigh them out, right, separate them, package them, and freeze them. Um, and, and these don't get exported. These are mostly sold locally. So they, they interviewed several generations of cutters. One is now a mother of kids who cut. She says when she was young, when she was a young girl, she made $32,000 over the course of six seasons and, and used that to buy her first car. Wow. Now, yeah. Nowadays, some of these kids are earning more than 10000 in a single season. Right? Good for them, man. Yeah, right? And they talked to a 14-year-old girl who basically said... I don't want to talk about how much I make because it's a lot. Yeah, I just don't want yo. people to know. That is right? the most gangster 14-year-old girl. She's like, yo, yeah. mind your own f***ing business, son. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> so it says, you know, she used her earnings most recently to buy a new iPhone and Apple AirPods so she could listen to music while she cut. And apparently these kids all use a mobile app called Marine Traffic to see when the boats are headed back to the dock. 
And then they sell their tongues now on like Facebook marketplace and stuff, which some of the older people kind of said, you know, they say like that sort of takes away the charm of what it used to be. Like, you know, the little Uh. kids selling tongues. Now it's like, it's a business. Now look, there's, there's a lot of crafty, hardworking kids out there in all countries, no doubt. It's not the racket and the hustle that, that I find so special, interesting, but it's the conditions. Like some of these kids will stay out there until two o'clock in the morning cutting tongues in just brutal, brutal conditions. And I fully understand that these kids are, are used to those conditions, yeah. right? That's where they grew up. But still, like we had, you know, three inches of snow here the other day. And my little guy, who's like the hardcore fisherman, he's outside for 10 minutes, was like, yeah, I'm cold. And then declined participation in all outdoor activities for the remainder of the day. So good on these kids. That is impressive. And like for the the kid that's like, I don't feel like walking the dogs today. It's like, yeah, let me see you stand outside till two o'clock in the morning in subarctic conditions, cutting out cod tongues. You know, yeah. you feel like such a punk. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. It, it's a different breed up there, man. Those fishing cultures. Um, I mean, you see this in, in a lot of like uh, cultures that rely on like fishing or like agrarian or just what have you. It kind of like just breeds this certain type of person that is just impervious to a lot of the stuff that like us soft, <laughs> you Yo, know? Yeah, sure. No, and that, and that's exactly right. And I, I mean, that's what I mean. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, kids in the U.S. don't know how to work hard. You have kids who whose parents own ranches and grow up in, you know, working farms and everything. I, I'm saying, though, like the impression I get is that none of these kids need to do this to survive. It's not like they're like they're feeding their families. Right. This right. is basically for walking around money and rather than do what normal six to 13 or 14 year olds would do after school, like they're opting into this and that is badass. Like those are some tough ass kids. You know what I mean? Please enter your password. You have one unheard message. Mr. Samak, I have been meaning to call you and give you shit. Like you really do need to like, do some basic fucking research when you're doing a news story on, I don't know, Turkish names, maybe, on pronunciation, and Recep-Time Erdogan? Dude, that's the fucking, that is the president of, of Turkey. It's not like an obscure name. That is actually the current president of Turkey. You, you should have got that one, buddy. Anyhow, we'll catch up soon. Be well. End of message. Delete. Press 7. Save. Deleted. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. 
Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Phil, if, if I were you, I would pick Joe as the winner here. <laughs> <laughs> That's never good when you when you when you, you cross over like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I I do think that I I have a at least a contender here. Um, I wanted to talk to you, Joe, about a uh, <laughs> Joe. I, we need to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to uh, talk about a poaching incident. That's getting a a lot of coverage. And in fact, this comes from USA Today, which is an interesting source to like cover like an outdoor story, right? Um Well, they only tend to do it when it's pretty big and powerful to get to get there. They yeah. also they also have that that uh, side site called For the Win. Yeah. Yeah. And well, um I mean I've read a lot of good things off there. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Anyway, good for you, USA Today. Uh, this December, Corporal Brian Talent of Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fish, and Parks busted two folks who were caught with 152 crappie over their legal limit Ooh. while fishing in Mississippi's Eden Reservoir, uh, or the spillway, I guess, to uh, Mississippi's Eden Reservoir. The limit would have been 30 between the two of them. So uh, for those of you who can't do math, that's 182 crappie, which is a crap ton of crappie. (laughs) You like that? (laughs) I do like that. Oh, man. I mean, you know, these things pop up every once in a while. It's it's not the first time, and I'm never less uh, flabbergasted over just how – how far you know some people are willing yeah to go over the limit this yeah, is no, that's a big one though that's a big one for for a couple guys yeah yeah it's basically a truck bed full of full of crappie yeah uh now the story is pretty like lacking in details uh i i tried doing more research online and was just like looking and looking it was basically the same story copied and pasted just over and over again and that's really all the information that was there this person busted these people and these people had this many fish and now these people are in trouble. Um, doesn't name the anglers, doesn't talk about the mm-hmm. method to take, doesn't talk about penalties, nothing. That's interesting. Okay. That's that's fairly rare. They don't get a little more detail there for sure. So I put on my investigative journalist hat and got on the horn with MDFWP. 
Ooh, phoning it in. All right. I'm impressed. Yeah. yeah well, you know, you know, I like to do that every now and again. Uh, keep the people informed. Phil should factor that kind of stuff in, by the way. He really should, I, I hope he does. Phil, put a Extra mark effort. There. <laughs> no matter what you're about to say or where this goes, like extra, more, more effort than I than And I everybody put, hung so. up on me the end. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, it, it turned out there was um, a lot. I didn't know about the fishery itself, and I think that information really clears up a lot of the questions surrounding the story. So first, let's talk a little bit about crappie fishing in Mississippi. Uh, Joe, we both know that when you get into crappie, uh, you you like really get into them. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's fair. It's fairly rare to catch one crappie. If yeah. You, if you catch one, you've typically found them all, or at least a handful more. So yeah. Yeah, and, and that's just up north. Uh, southern crappie is a whole different ball game. It's also big business. I think it's worth pointing out that, like, yeah, Mississippi, Alabama, northern Alabama in particular. Um, I've fished in, in center Alabama, which claims to be the crappie capital of the U.S. Um, yeah, I feel like by and large, in, in, in especially in the northeast, it's something that's there that you get into on occasion, but there's not the same kind of culture around it that there is in this area. Yeah. So again, it's a whole different ball game. Um, and it's a whole different ball game in like more ways than one. For instance, Joe, did you know that you could snag crappie in Mississippi? Legally? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, I did not. Yeah. So there are uh, there are spillways across the state where the crappie congregate as like temperatures drop in the winter. And it is perfectly legal to snag those fish. In fact, hmm. one person I talked to uh, mentioned that there are even like plaques at these spillways detailing exactly how one can legally go about it. It's one pole per angler, a maximum of two hooks, no bigger than a number two, and no less than an inch apart, and no treble hooks at all. Wow, man! I mean, yeah, that's that's totally news to me. I yeah. had I had no idea. Um, usually with any kind of game fish, I thought there was there was there was no snagging of it. Right, right, yeah. So I mean, you know. We know when you get onto them, it's easy fishing, but like even then, 152 over the limit uh, seems like gill net numbers. And the first thing I thought of was, how the hell do they do that? Well, there's your answer. They were snagging, which is legal, although I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't, uh, you know, abiding by that rule while they were completely ignoring, you know, ignoring their limit. I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, oh, is, is, is are these hooks more than an inch? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, I also wouldn't be surprised if they uh, overlook the uh, two hook um, limit, you know, on the lines there. But what's, what's interesting to me, I don't know. It seems like if, if there's a rule in place like this, right, where this is legal or at a certain time of year or when the crappie are doing this, Typically, I feel like states would put those rules into play because a fair amount of people um, actually want to take them that way. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So without, I mean, I don't know all the details, but it would seem to me like if that's a thing that people do, uh, so much so that there's rules in play, nobody else was down at this particular spot seeing this happen. I mean, they couldn't have caught, they couldn't have snagged that many fish in 10 minutes, or maybe they could, maybe there's so many in there and they put nine hooks on their line. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, I just, I wonder about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, that is part of the story that I couldn't find out is exactly yeah. how this got reported, but it did get reported by, uh, by the public. Like somebody said, suspicious activities going on here. Got it. You might want to check it out. So I don't know exactly right what that entailed, but that's what happened. Uh, so yeah, the guys got busted, which begs the question, um, 
what does the fine for being 152 fish over your legal limit look like? Uh, according to the uh, MWFP's law enforcement office, the fine for the infraction is 500 to to $1,000. Like, that's your base fine. With an additional <laughs> fine of 25 to to $100 per fish over the limit. That means, as I understand it, the poachers are facing, like, the potential for a combined $16,200, approximately half of the 14-year-old girl's tongue cutter money, in fines for being <laughs> like that, for, for being crappie hogging dumbasses. Yeah, well, you know, and I applaud the state for for their twenty five to hundred dollars per fish over. I mean, they're not going to get that. Well, that's the thing, man. Like you see, a lot of states really go for the throat and try and, and set an example here. Um, that might do something to scare off the next group of guys. I we we've discussed that here before, where. Just because that's the penalty, it doesn't mean they're going to pay it. And, you know, in my opinion, if, if you're that much of a, of a jerk ass to do something like this in the first place, somebody could take your license away or whatever. You're, you're going to do it. If this is what you do, if you if you have it in you once, chances are you're going to do it again no matter what gets imposed on you. Just my my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I hope they throw the book at him. Anyway, the, the next thing I wanted to know is uh, what the hell happens to all of these fish. So uh, I, an employee for MDFWP's Northern Regional Office, and you'll notice that like I, I've left this particular person's name out of this news story. Yeah, I was um, wondering if you were going to name drop. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm honestly pretty sure I was annoying that guy, so I didn't like ask for a lot of follow-up. <laughs> and in fact, I didn't even like get his, I didn't even want to ask him for his name again because I was getting pretty curt answers at this point. Um, Were you just saying yeah, man, a lot? Is that what yeah, the problem man. was? <laughs> yeah, man. The, um, w- so that guy, uh, he intimated to me that the it was up to the officer's discretion, like what happened to these fish, meaning that the officer could basically transfer the fish wherever he wanted to. Right. Um, I used the example of a, a, a food bank, which he said would have been possible if the officer had deemed it appropriate. So he saw like these fish were all good. They were in good condition. Sure. Let's give them to the food bank. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, let's hope that that's where they ended up and not in like the landfill. I would also accept that officer hosting a badass fish fry though. Yeah. If it's at his discretion, man, party at his joint. You know yeah. what I mean? That's not a yeah. terrible idea. That's no. not a terrible idea. No. So finally, um, I, you know, I was interested in like the frequency of which things like this happen. The aforementioned guy, I'm pretty sure I was annoying, said that it happens all the time. But sure. he, he did, in a shocking turn of events, he didn't voluntarily like start listing off some specifics. So no. I, I followed up with uh, with Major Chris Reed uh, in the uh, MDFWP's Central Region Office. Um, while snagging over their limit does happen occasionally, he said, um, he also noted that this event was particularly egregious. He yeah. said that in 16 years, I haven't checked anyone that's been that brazenly over the limit. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that's why we're out here checking to make sure the resources uh, don't get depleted in this way. I've never seen 150-ish fish over the limit. Yeah, and, and some of that stuff is going to sneak by. I think, um, you know, it, 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 it's not easy being a being a conservation officer in any state no. now. You know what I mean? There's only so many of you, you, you. You can't be anywhere. So, I mean, even this bust, 
I think, you know, should at least help to alleviate some of this and at least, you know, scare some people, I would hope. That's yeah. kind of what all you could hope for with a lot of these outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, is to, you know, be taking a portion of these incidents, making them an example and trying to dissuade others from participating in just bullshit like this themselves. So anyhow, guys, don't be a crappie catching shithead. I'd also like to thank uh, Corporal <laughs> Brian Talent for uh, protecting the resource and everybody at MDWFP uh, who took the time to talk to me, even the guy who was very obviously annoyed with my line of questioning. Well, I still applaud you for calling. Um, and let's see who Phil's going to applaud. Is it crappie catching shitheads or um, the, the, the lovely, the lovely you know, beautiful children of Norway who are up there cutting cod tongues while we um, you know, live, live the lavish life down here? We're going to find out uh, who wins. We're going to hear from Phil. And then we're going to go have a, uh, a, a drink in a Yinzer establishment, if you know what that means. I don't really open up about my process very often on this podcast, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of tired of poaching stories, and unless it involves someone named The Breeze, I'm also getting a little sick of record stories. So, Hayden, I commend you hitting the pavement for this story, but I gotta give it to Joe this week. <laughs> I wonder if Gigi Allen knew about these Norwegian kids. He could have invited them up to cut cod tongues out on stage as his opener. That would have been punk as hell. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. So where are we going for some suds this week? Yinzer country. How about that? Mm. Western PA. You ever spend any time out there? I went to visit Carnegie Mellon one time, and that is the extent of my travels to Pittsburgh. <laughs> My my wife actually applied there and, and uh, checked that out too. Ended up not going. Passed on that. I uh, did not get in. <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't even going to do it. You did it to yourself. Uh, so anyway, so I've done some catfishing in the burg, literally right in front of uh, the stadium, and that was cool. And that was with my old buddy Joe Gordon of the Three Rivers Catfish Club. I've also done some musky fishing on the Allegheny. But I've never been out there for trout, and there is some damn fine trout water out that way. In fact, some of it runs directly behind this week's drinking establishment, which was submitted by listener Matt Wagner. Right. So the, the official name of this place is the Halton Sportsman's Lodge. But according to Matt, everybody knows it as the Halton Hilton. <laughs> which is <pretty laughs> Here's <great>. how Matt <laughs> opens up this fantastic nomination. It's so good. As a young man, I dreamed of having a beer in the famed Halton Hilton. This bar has a storied past and is a really a cultural staple in the Allegheny National Forest. My family has had a camp in Halton since the mid-1950s, and the Halton Hilton was established in the late 50s. It's located in Elk County, Pennsylvania, south of Ridgeway on the banks of the Clarion River. Uh, my father and I caught some beautiful trout from the hole directly across the bar, and at the end of the day, enjoyed plenty of straw beers before heading back to camp. <laughs> According to relatives, people just started calling it the Halton Hilton and the name stuck. People come from miles around to check this place out, and it has almost become a rite of passage to have a straw and a, quote, belly buster. Belly buster, right? So let's get into that. So Matt continues, right? This place is famous for its belly buster burger. The burgers were rumored to be part venison 
and are actually quite delicious. I mean, where else can you go and get a lukewarm straw and pickled turkey gizzards? The mm. restrooms were an adventure in themselves. And sure. at one point, the <laughs> men's room was just a hole in the floor. He says, the St. Pauli girl cardboard cutout and the old school cigarette machine. And then in parentheses, he says, you know the style that had the knob you pulled and, and the smokes came out? Ask Joe. He has definitely bought cigs from one of these. I'll comment on that in a minute. <laughs> Gave this place its own kind of nostalgia. Then when you looked up, you knew you were in an awesome place. Painted on the ceiling is a giant black silhouette of a flying goose and velvet wallpaper covered nice. the walls. So yes, I do know those SIG machines, and I think I bought a pack from one in college exactly once, because I kid you not, I turned 21, and within two months, you couldn't smoke in bars anymore around here, mm -hmm. and those cigarette machines just totally disappeared, right? Yeah. Well, and dear listener, I have also bought SIGs from one of those <laughs> machines. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, there used to be this spot in uh, Maniunk that I played called the Grape Room. I used to like play music there a bunch. And they had one of those old school SIG machines. It's um, like a foosball table, man. They're badass. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. And one day I was like, I need some SIGs. I don't feel like walking to the convenience store. I'm here right now. Let's see if it has anything in it. So I put my money in, pulled the lever for the parliaments, and out came a nice little pack of parliaments. Went outside, smoked one. Dude, that thing must have been in there for 20 years. <laughs> Dude, you know what, too? Like, I remember it was... I, think I, I took, like, one drag, and I think the whole cigarette <laughs> just went up in flames. As I recall, too, they only really could 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 give you soft packs, which, like, sucked. Like, soft packs suck. Yeah. You know, yeah, they always get you, crushed. If you want a way to break all your cigs at once, man, put a soft pack in your pocket and go do anything. Anything. Right. <laughs> Kids, don't smoke. Stop listening to us if you're listening right now. That's I don't smoke good. anymore. I don't. Me either. Uh, anyway, regarding the belly buster, I got to say, now that sounds epic, and mm. I'm going to prime the pump here for hate mail, but I don't care, because I've had this debate privately with with many Yinzer buddies, and it's time to take it public. So I'm a Philly guy, right, and I will put my Tony Luke's, Steve's Prince of Steaks, and Gino's against that Permanis nonsense Trash. that you guys eat out there. Okay, the first time I was in Pittsburgh, I couldn't get to the famous Permani brothers fast enough, and I'd... I, I'm sorry. I didn't think it was that good, right? Their whole shtick is loading the sandwich with French fries. So to me, I just tasted like white bread and French fries. I, I didn't understand. So next time I'm out that way, belly buster all day. That sounds amazing. Now, real quick, I did say trash, and I wasn't talking about Permanente's. Uh, I, I was talking about Gino's and what did you say? Tony Luke, Steve's mm -hmm. Prince of Steaks. I'm disappointed in you, bro. What's your spot? No, oh, you got to go to Chubby's, man. I don't think I've ever been to Chubby's. I've never even heard of Chubby's. Chubby's, that's in like East Falls, man. That's like, that, that's where it's really at. You go go do some catfishing this summer, then go up by uh, the Philly U campus, or I guess it's Jefferson now, and and go and go get one of those Chubby's, man. You'll be you'll be happy you did. So anyway, on from me ragging on you for your <laughs> cheesesteak choice. <laughs> so Matt moves into the history and the characters you might find at, uh, at the Halton Hilton. Um, all great bars have a character or two. He says, John Hanley bought the bar from his parents in 1964 and was the proprietor there until his death in 2015. 
He was always there to talk to people and provide some of his perspective, at least when he wasn't in his pickup parked next to the building. (laughs) I like this guy. Yeah. John was a local legend and spoke in his own special dialect. He held the history of the Halton close to his heart and would willingly produce some of the old photos from the area and had stories to tell about every one of them. Some of his most loyal customers, the folks that he served for years, described him as quiet, honest, and honorable. Yeah, quiet, honest, and honorable. I fit that bill except for quiet. Um, (laughs) So so to bring it home and and to get to the best part, right, uh, Matt says that upon John's death, his niece took the place over and updated it a bit. Um, And as as he put it, he'd actually bring his wife there now. And that's cool. Hmm. But that's also like a slippery slope because I know a few good bars that lost their magic after renovation. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. The hole in the floor and the the pisser kind of made it, you know, what it was. Um, and I hope that's not the case at, at the Hilton. Uh, but here's what really sealed the deal on including the Halton Hilton. With this nomination, Matt sent along a link to the official Halton Hilton song. Yes, the place has its own song. And while I wish we had time to play the whole thing, we don't. But really, you'll get it with just the first 30 seconds. Way up in Old Elk County, there's a town by the name of Halton, where the creeks run clear and the clearing flows on by. There's a place for to do their meeting, have a drink and do some eating, where the gossip's thin and you'll never hear a lie. It was hot and I was a Wilton, so I headed for the Hilton to have a beer and a burger and some fries. It was built in the days of Custer, and it's a home of the belly buster, and I'll visit it again before I die. Yo, I've never visited a bar (laughs) that had its own theme song. Me either. Me either, man. I I thought that was like reserved for cheers. Uh, I don't know who's singing that, but I want to hang out with that dude. I want to soak shiner with him. Uh, You know who it might be? It might be The Breeze, the guy that caught the PA state record walleye. Like, dude. How much you want to bet the breeze has like swigged some bourbon at the Halton Hilton, right? He's mm-hmm. he's from those parts. Anyway, Matt, thank you so much for a great nomination. This was this was a lot of fun. Uh, the theme song was amazing. Um, and if you've got a fishy bar with or without a theme song that you'd like us to consider for a shout out here, send the deets to bent at themeateater.com. So since we just got done talking, drinking, I got to ask, right? Uh, you posted some ice fishing videos on the gram from that little soiree, and I couldn't help but notice uh, that a sketchy brown, like like an old school ah. bootlegger flip cap bottle mm. kept making an appearance. Was that homemade hooch? Because that's well, what it looked like. You were out there. It was, in fact, some homemade hooch. Not uh, <laughs> a boy. Not a boy. You yeah, know, that, uh, that was my very last bottle of a run of dandelion wine I made right around when the pandemic first hit. So like April or May of 2020. And you know, I was, I was out with, uh, I was out with miles. Actually, he came with me. It was me, miles, my girlfriend, miles, Nolte, miles, Nolte. Yeah. (laughs) Um, miles kid and, uh, Christine, uh, my buddy from the office here. And we all, uh, caught a, couple perch and a nice buzz because of it except for miles miles was uh he's doing one of those dry january things so i couldn't i couldn't get him to try it <laughs> okay well th- you know what didn't did, did you write a story about that about dandelion wine now i'm thinking about it wasn't there something on the meat eater site that you put together about how you made that 
I I did. Um, yeah, I'll put the link in my IG bio for uh, anyone that's interested. It's a fun little project I do like every year or two. It's I, I will say it is a royal pain in the ass because like in order to make it like the first thing you have to do is I'm going to go through like a real quick explanation of the tediousness of this process is that you go to a field, right? Make sure like it's not a dog park because they piss on the dandelions or like you know, don't get in front of a bank where they're yeah. like spraying them with like, <laughs> you know, Roundup. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you pick like buckets, like a 10 gallon bucket full of dandelions or like halfway full. And then you take them home and you pull the petals off of the little green cup that holds them all together. It's called the sepal. Mm-hmm. So you pull all the petals and you put them in a pot until you have like a full pot full of dandelion petals. Because if you put the green shit in, it's going to make them real bitter. Oh, that sounds excruciating. It, it, it's something you do when you have some time, like in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I love it. When, when, when you have that, when you get everything all said and done and it's aged and it's like, it feels like drinking like springtime or some shit, you know? <laughs> That's a, dude, that's like such an it's like an Andrew Zimmern thing to say. Like it tastes like grass coated in rainwater on a, I, a I would, full moon night. I would night. say it's more Bourdain esque, but you <laughs> okay. know, whatever. I'm not I'm not a wine snob. In fact, I tend not to like wine. I just happen to like this. Yeah, uh, yeah. you would like bizarre foods. Anyhow, oh, I, I, yeah. I don't know. It, it's a dead of winter, and you have this thing you made a couple springs ago. It's like I don't know. I like that. Yeah, well, you can you can explain it more later. People can read the piece, but right now, um, we we have some other more uh, pressing things to explain. Let's wrap things up with our new segment, the Bent Helpline, where we answer your questions. And this week, we even have a special guest. What are you laughing at, Martini? You're not an idiot, huh? You're not a damn loony now, boy. You're a fisherman. <laughs> What's your emergency? So we've got a, a very special edition of the uh, the Bent Helpline today. We've actually called in reinforcements to answer one of your questions. We're joined today by my good friend Jim Fee of On the Water Magazine, who was a co-host here before before Hayden uh, signed on full time. Jim, how art thou? Good, good. That's great. How's it feel? <laughs> How's it feel to be here as an expert in a specific a specific faction of fishing? We don't even, people don't even know what we're talking about yet. But you're the man. You're the guy. Oh, oh. Yeah, I feel like I've earned it. So yeah, <laughs> okay. So you know, now that you mention it, um, so anyway, okay. So here's what we're talking about. This this question uh, comes to us from listener Ryan Foster, and he says, "I am curious about float and fly technique. Have you guys used it, and how did it work out? What's the setup you used? Is it a bent approved technique?" And he says, "I feel dirty watching these videos on it being a fly angler." but I am not a complete fly guy. Okay, so he dabbles in other arenas. Um, I like to fish and catch fish. I think we all can agree on that, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks, and keep up the good work, guys. So this is the thing. I know what float and fly is. I I get the premise, but I don't do it. Yet Jim, Jim here, on a weekly basis in the winter months, is just like, you are the float and fly guy on Instagram. You do this a lot. So I'm like... We just got to call Jim because he does this all the time. So rather than me like make shit up about what I think I know, right, which might not be anything, can you explain to us what float and fly technique is? Yeah, so I first read about it, man, probably in the late 90s in an In Fisherman magazine article. Mm. And it was real big for smallmouth bass in some in moving water. 
Uh, okay. It was really big for them in the springtime. Also, it's what I use it for is in the cold water months. So that's one of the things I think I know. It is a cold, like it shines in the off season in cold, cold water, right? So all you're doing is suspending a hair jig under a float. And it's they're usually tied with um, kind of synthetic materials that are going to have a lot of kind of breathing and action as that jig just suspends under the float. And it's it's kind of fallen out of favor. Like, I, I don't think it's a, a modern technique that guys are really into. Maybe it's coming back around again. It seems like all those things come back around. But Ned rigs now are like, that's, that's all I hear about is guys using in the winter. In the wintertime, Ned rigging in the wintertime. So... Yeah, so that's again not the expert here, but that was the impression I got. Like it's it's specifically for suspended fish in cold water, and it's not super aggressive, right? Like you're kind of just like letting the fly breathe, and it's just hanging in their face or the jig. That's the other misconception. It's called float and fly. You just said though, it's a jig. You're not actually hanging a fly under the bobber. Yeah, it's just it's a hair jig on either a one eighth or one sixteenth ounce jig heads. Those are the most popular sizes. So it's a pretty small presentation. But even though it's small, I mean, people have caught seven, eight pound largemouth bass on it. It's really good for you know smallmouth bass, four or five pounds. I haven't caught a seven or eight pound largemouth on them, but I've gotten them right. in excess of five pounds on it. Right, but the, it was sort of developed for moving water, but yet you're using it in, in still water, right up in Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm using it in the ponds here. Um, you know, I, I live on the coast on Cape Cod, so we don't get ice every year. Right. But those ponds are still full of fish, and there's great largemouth bass fishing there. You can fish the spending jerk baits, or I like this technique because one, it works really well in cold water, and I'm using a real long, like ultralight noodle rod to throw it because you need a little extra length to one, right. not only cast like the you know the long uh, leader, yeah, but also you're fishing it still, so you're going to have a lot of slack on the water, so you want to be able to have a lot of room to lift to set the Got hook it. when that goes down at the end of your cast. Is there like a specialized float or something, or it's just like your run-of-the-mill slip bobber? So serious bass guys that are on bass boats and have a lot of backcast room are using fixed floats. So they know they're sending it to the same depth, they, uh, mm-hmm. you know, nine-foot rods. I'm doing it from shore or from my kayak mostly, so I use a, a little slip float. And that one's called the Phil Wobble Bobber. Which, <laughs> <laughs> the, whole, okay. the whole idea is it's a teardrop-shaped float, and it has written on it, you know, this one will... This one will work best with a one-eighth ounce jig. So it's like you're setting up for center pin fishing where mm, the floats gotcha. are meant to suspend a certain amount of weight. And the wobble bobber, the idea behind it, now it's not just fun to say, but it, uh, <laughs> when you have wind or waves, it throws some action. It, it really does uh, wobble all over the surface. Gives a little bit more very subtle action to the jig. That's what I was going to ask. Like, I imagine at some point you have to work it, and at some point if you have a chop, like especially when it's cold, you probably get smashed just letting that thing bob around out there, right? If you cast it near fish, you can't pause it for long enough. The problem is it's, you, you, it's long pause. You have to know where the fish are. It is not a search presentation. Right, mm-hmm. right. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I, without even knowing all that, I already knew it was a Ben-approved technique because to me there's no unapproved technique here barring, I don't know, Throwing a spear at him or something. Or oh, no, 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 no. Hey, hey, no, 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 no. We have we have listeners who are spear fishing. In fact, if you look, I'm wearing a spear fishing hoodie right now right. from uh, my buddy Ryan Ebert. So, well, that's a we specialized that thing too. to the guys. That's cool. And if like, you if said you're spear, man enough, not me, man. Okay, fine, whatever, <laughs> whatever. So I, I hope that answers Ryan's question because I assume that that is the. That's the float and fly he's talking about. The only other thing that comes to mind are like those casting bubbles you can put on your spinning rod 
to dry fly. Jim's like, I am about that too. I never pick up a fly rod. I'm, I want to get into that. That is another, that's also big up here. Where it's the clear casting bubbles and you yes. like fill them up with a little bit of water. And then the guys up here will fish like woolly buggers. I've seen guys use the floating uh, Berkeley power worms behind them. Mm. And that is really? really good for trout. But I, I, I haven't dabbled in that yet. Yep. But that's like yeah. a trout technique. That, that kind of casting bubble and fly. Like you yeah. said, if you're just determined not to use a fly rod. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's also like kind of similar to like, Joe, you and I talked a little bit about like, you know, people fishing with flies using noodle rods on like the Great Lakes steelhead scene. Yeah. I mean, I've thrown a lot of flies for steelhead on, on long conventional noodle spinning rods with and without floats um, for steelhead. I don't know. I don't find any of that dirty. Yeah. It's all just, it just works. It's just a different kind of presentation. No, and then the, you know? and the other good thing is like your guides don't ice up as bad in like the, in the middle of winter because you're not like sending that th- big thick fly line through them and get them all wet. You right. Know? Right. Oh yeah. There's come definitely... up to Pulaski, man. Everybody's just got mono on their fly reels. Oh, oh sure. dude. Tell me about yeah. it. Tell me about it. Yeah. There's not, a, there's not even fly line. Well, I am so glad that I had a float and fly expert to call for this. Um, I'm, a, I'm a float and fly enthusiast, Joe. Enthusiast. <laughs> Editor-in-chief of Float and Fly Monthly. Um, but, I mean, I can, I, can, I can tell you, Ryan, that even though I haven't done it, I'd like to, but it absolutely does work because, like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here staring at a computer and Jim's posting his morning float and fly session photos and catching a lot of fish. So, Jim, thank you for that. Um, Ryan, thank you for the question. Uh, if you've got a question you'd like us to maybe answer here on the show, you can DM them to me on the Instagram or Hayden, uh, or just go ahead and fire those off to bent at themeateater.com. All right. Well, that's it for this week, Degenerates. If you're presently tying up uh, FG knots for your float and fly session tomorrow, I say a little drip of super glue on the finishing wraps never hurt anyone. That's what I would say. I would also say, please keep sending in your questions, bar nominations, awkward photos, sailboat items, and whatever else um, you think up to bent at themeateater.com. Yep. And don't forget, use those degenerate angler hashtags. Uh, yes. You know, we, we see all those posts and, you know, I don't know, we like checking up on what you're into. So, you know, it's good when I'm at the office and I want to slack a little bit. There you go. Yes, we do love seeing that. (laughs) And finally, hey, keep in mind that not tying tools are for the weak, and God Mm. gave you teeth so you wouldn't have to buy $200 tungsten carbide nail clippers. 